So for uh, people that they call up from the minor leagues like me, uh, they provide training wheels. So I have a pulpit that I can lean on and it'll keep me from falling over. I hope it worked the first hour. Uh, frankly, when uh, Eric asked if I would do this for him some time ago, I said I'd be honored. Uh, and the only thing that really made me nervous in thinking about it is doing a sermon without a net, without a pulpit to stand behind. I can't hide behind this one, but at least I can stand behind it and hold on to something. Uh, it's just interesting how we all have different backgrounds and different approaches to thing, things, our goal being to glorify God and to, and to love Him as He loved us. So the title that's here up on the, on the screen is, uh, you know, I made mention of the fact that I've studied uh, tithes and offerings for 35 years, communion for even longer than this, uh, and this is a sermon that I've been preparing for for 35 years, not to scare you and think that I'm going to put 35 years worth of what I've learned into a two-hour sermon, I mean 30-minute sermon. Um, but I really have, this is another one of those things that uh, upon conversion clicked just immediately. I was encouraged by an elder in the church that we were attending to read all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation in bite-sized increments every day, 15 minutes a day. And for some reason, I heard that. 35 years later, I've read through God's infallible, inerrant word 35 times. Ten different translations. The first ten years was a different translation. The last number of years, it's been in one translation that works well for me. Yet, I've just scratched the surface. Every time I read it, there's something new. And God somehow knows exactly what I need and when I need it. And when I'm reading it, there it is. Now, I'm not saying that happens every day. There are times when I'm reading through Leviticus, I wonder, really, God? What am I going to do with this? But all of Scripture is there for us. And what I hope to be able to do is to provide some perspective some perspective on this, this book, both the New and the Old Testament. How do they relate? How do we look at the Old Testament now that we're a New Testament church? As I said, the other perspective that I hope to share is the perspective of a pastor looking out at a congregation, that there's a balance that's difficult to find and, and mat and, and grab hold of. You want to love the flock as Christ loved the flock. But you also want to be able to correct as Christ corrected those he encountered in his ministry. And we've all been in churches where the emphasis seems to be on the wrong syllable. And this thing becomes a two-by-four that you get a head over the head with where the balance or the pendulum is swung a little bit too much to the correction side. 
But that pendulum can swing too much to the comfort side as well. So that's some of the perspective I hope to provide. And the other perspective, and I let the cat out of the bag a little bit when I said there were two videos and the first one was serious, second one's not. This is not serious. But it'll give you an idea. I've gotten used to sitting down there and looking up and had forgotten until I started thinking about this what it's like to look out at faces looking back. So this video will remind you, you've got to listen because it does both things. You'll hear the preacher preaching and try to hear what people are hearing in the congregation. And then you'll get to appreciate what it is that preachers see when they're standing up here. That's what I see. <laughs> so, uh, as I go on, if I see any of you out there doing this, I'll know it's about time to draw it to a close. So, that'll be your signal to me. How's that? Uh, and <laughs> if for no other reason, uh, I, uh, humor uh, is important to me, it puts me at ease. Um, and I mentioned in the first hour that the toughest sermon I ever gave was at my father's own funeral. And uh, the night before, uh, after a long day of 
greeting people and uh, catching up with people and friends and family, coming in to pay their respects, I tried to practice the sermon I'd prepared with my son, and we went off to a quiet place uh, in the woods across the street, and I just couldn't get through it. I just sobbed and just couldn't get through it. Then, after an even longer evening, uh, check into the hotel with my wonderful wife and say, honey, i got to get through this once before tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to do it. So I started with the sermon, and I'm less than a sentence into it, and I hear, (laughs) she's out cold. She's asleep. So I never did get to practice the sermon, but the Holy Spirit showed up anyway. And one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit showed up is I was related to a Mr. Bean. Uncle Dominic. And he had heard this story, and he's sitting in a chair. I start the sermon, and he and falls out of his chair onto the floor. <laughs> and everybody just broke up. I broke up and got relaxed enough to make it through my father's sermon. So, if nobody else but me, and every time I watch that Mr. Bean video, I lose it. So, when we look at the sum and sum of Scripture, uh, I, I hope I'm not being flipped, but when you look at those words, two short words, one three-letter word and one four-letter word, how many of us err, or perhaps get abused, or misled by some of Scripture, S-O-M-E. Somebody reaches in, grabs a Scripture, and says, boom, here it is. Well, hold on a minute. What does the rest of Scripture, what does the sum of Scripture, S-U-M, have to say about that verse taken out of context? Now, I'm about to do that to you. I'm going to take some scripture out of context and say, boom, here you go. And we'll get to a place in the sermon where I'll suggest to you or I'll read what the Word of God says that you should do with people like me. People like me who grab a scripture out of context and say, here it is. Go and do So, to set the table for today's service, Eric actually uh, did it for me. When he did ask, uh, I didn't have to think for a second what the topic was going to be. I knew what it would be. I knew it would be the sum or sum of Scripture. Uh, My dilemma is twofold. I have no insight, no ability, no intellect, no special gift that can adequately do justice to God's perfect and infallible word on one hand. On the other hand, I have crammed my brain 
with so much information, both last night and over the last, or last week and last night and the last 35 years, that the people in the first couple of rows could be in trouble because the fire hose is hardest on the people close to the audience, close to the stage, that is. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will show up once again and take those words that need to be shared now. They could be different than in the first hour because the people here have different needs and are in different places than the folks in the first hour. Bless you. And there is no preparation that I could possibly do that would know how to tailor a message for this group at this time. So, Holy Spirit, do your thing. So, in setting the stage and setting the table, Eric referred to the Word of God by reading Ephesians 6.17 on August 12th and called it the sword of the Spirit, or the Word of God calls it, calls itself the sword of the Spirit. And so, thinking about that analogy a little bit, what happens with a sword if you're not trained in how to use it. It's intended to be a weapon against an enemy. But if you just pick up a sword and just start swinging it around, guess who you can hurt? Probably hurt yourself more than you will your enemy. So using this sword of the Spirit requires some training. That sword is double-edged. And in a sermon prior to the one about the sword of the Spirit, Eric made mention that truth comforts and corrects. It comforts and corrects. And again, perspective. My primary job is to sit where you're sitting and look up and try to soak up as much as possible. But the, men's, the man standing here as a shepherd is trying to find the perfect balance between providing words of comfort and words of correction. Christ does both. And shepherds want to avoid error to one extreme or the other. If you never hear God's exhortation not to sin, if you never hear God's exhortation to do this or don't do that. And all you hear is God is graceful and merciful. and Yes, he is. But he's both. He's both. He's a God of justice and a God of mercy. He's a God of comfort and a God of correction. Now, where do you find that balance? And musicians and those that heard it before, I'm going to try the analogy again. I'm not a musician, but the analogy, and I, you know, I, I tend to go to sports analogies, but I'll, I'll spare you. But this analogy tends, I think, works. And so this, this balance that we're trying to find between comfort and correction, there's a tension there. Do I hammer about sin? Or do I extol comfort? Where's the balance? There's a tension there. So the guitar string. Too loose? Terrible music. 
too tight, pops, it breaks. So there is tension between comfort and correction. Lord God Almighty, help me help us find the perfect balance so that the tension between these two apparent contradictions of your nature will make perfect music in our lives. The third element is uh, two slides later. Yeah, there we go. The third element in terms of setting the table was to think about what it took to get this word. The first three-fourths of church history since Christ, we had to rely on intellectual clergy to spoon-feed this word to us. First three-fourths of church history since the crucifixion. But in the 1500s, William Tyndale is credited as the first one to translate the Word of God into English from the original Hebrew and Greek. And he paid the ultimate price for that. They tried him, convicted him. They put him to death by strangulation. And I guess to make sure he was dead, they burned him at the stake. But prior to that, in his trial, he's well known for saying to the intellectual clergy that were so offended by him putting this word into a form that all of us could read it. He said, if God spare my life, I will cause a boy who drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. So it's easy when we look at this I don't have one of those skinny, tiny Bibles like Eric. I have a big, thick Bible. It's a big sword. And, uh, but it's easy to look at something with so many pages and so many footnotes in, in my study Bible uh, to think that this is beyond our ability to read, to comprehend, and apply. Yet William Tyndale said... No, give me a plowboy, uneducated, untrained, simple, poor, with a little bit of time. I'll give him enough understanding of Scripture that he'll know more than you, Mr. Intellectual Clergy. This word is simple, clear, and easy to understand, especially if you're relying on the Holy Spirit to, to give you that which you need for wherever you happen to be at that particular time. The, in in the, one of the seasons in the denomination where I was ordained had a term for that. It was the doctrine of perspicuity. Big word, isn't it? You know what that word means? Simple, clear, easy to understand. Yet eggheads, <laughs> like me, had to come up with a big word to describe something simple, clear, easy to understand, perspicuity. I just love that. I haven't been able to use it in words with friends yet, but I'm working on it. All right, next, uh, the next place we go is to the cornerstone verse 
when anyone is talking about the Word of God. We find it in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. I have a drinking problem. I spill water. I spilt the juice a little while ago. So that was my first pun of the day. Oh, speaking of puns, um, since we're talking about the sword, here's a good one. We kind of lighten it up every once in a while. So uh, how did the sword cross the road? It was strapped to a chicken. All right. <laughs> Back to serious stuff now. So the, the cornerstone, there's more puns coming, folks. So, uh, you know, groan in the Holy Spirit, that's fine. Uh, and I'll know how to interpret your groanings. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture. I am an advocate of all of Scripture. I am an advocate of the sum of Scripture not some of Scripture. But we've heard this question asked, many of us have, what Scripture were those hearing this or reading this for the first time that they have? Had nothing but the Old Testament. Nothing but the Old Testament. That's the foundation upon which Christ built his Gospels. That was the foundation upon which the epistles were written. It's a foundation. The New Testament does not discard the Old Testament. It explains it. It expands upon it. It takes the Old Testament words spoken and reveals them in Christ in the New. I have these reading glasses on. The New Testament is a set of lenses through which we can look at the Old Testament and know what applies and what doesn't and know how it sets the stage for what is taught in the Gospels and the Epistles. If you want to mishandle the sword, cut the first two-thirds of this book out and rely only on the New Testament. There's a caution. Perfect complement, perfect, perfect balance to, to what I just said about all of Scripture and my earlier comments about the Word of God being clear and easy to understand. In 2 Peter 3, verse 16, we read, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. We're being cautioned here in this epistle. Yeah, it's easy to understand, but don't take it for granted. 
Yes, it's easy to understand, but there are some things in here that as we're building, in particular as we're laying our foundation, that we may read and go, huh? Leviticus, Numbers, Lord, how does this apply today? By faith, I continue to read it every year because I know it's building a foundation. And I'm usually not good at that sort of thing. I just want to get to it. Painting, my wife's great at it. She'll take however much time it takes to lay the foundation. Tape around the windows and the doors, prepare clean things, put drop cloths. Me, just give me a paint and I just start painting because I want it done. And it's a mess when I do it. Yeah, you're not, you're agreeing. Okay. We can make the same kind of mess if we don't rely on the foundation for all of Scripture, which is the Old Testament. The next verse that's instructive and helpful in, in knowing how to use our sword is Acts 17, verse 11. These, that is the Bereans, the, the folks that this epistle was being writ, written to, were more fair-minded than those in Thessal- Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Folks, we have homework to do. Just like in the old days, well, some of you, some of us older than others, and some still in school. Where did we do a lot of our learning? In the homework that we did. We learned in school as a teacher taught, but when we went home and did the homework, that's where things really began to sink in. The Bereans came prepared. They had done their homework in advance. They were ready to test that what was coming forth was so. So whether it's me standing here or, or Eric or any other preacher, do your homework. There's two reasons. One, examine the Scripture to see that what's coming forward, forth from the pulpit is true. Second, application can be so different depending on who you are, where you are, and what's going on in your life. There's a uh, website that encourages the reading of all of God's Word in little 15-minute increments that says this about that passage. Like the Bereans in the book of Acts, those who read all of Scripture each year can be more fair-minded in that they receive the Word with all readiness and search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. In the author's opinion, the best way for a Christian to be like the Bereans is to be equipped with the sum of Scripture. not some of Scripture. Intentionally or unintentionally, the Scriptures can be misused, misunderstood, or misapplied. Having a good foundation in the sum of Scripture, S-U-M, will help you receive and apply some of Scripture, S-O-M-E. As it's preached, as we look to it for answers and guidance, as others criticize it. 
one of the benefits that we have with this word is that we can't possibly read all of it every time we need an answer from it, every time we need direction from it. But if we make it a daily part of our lives, and, and you know that old saying, eat that elephant one bite at a time, consume this thing one bite at a time, when we need some direction, we need something specific, and we reach out and grab some of Scripture in a verse, we've got context and scope and all of Scripture to put it in balance. It really doesn't have to take more than 15 minutes a day. So, as we've talked about the entirety of God's Word and how to use the sword, let's look a little bit at the Old Testament and how we should view the Old Testament. Okay, warning. Pun number two. So, we're going to talk about the Old Testament. Who was the smartest man in the Old Testament? Hence, not Solomon, he's, he's the wisest. Who was the 